Building Men is brought to you by Finish the Race Apparel, ftrapparel.com, the creators of all things Building Men, and by Become Stronger Industries, become-stronger.com, the creators of handmade steel maces, hammers, and other badass equipment. I didn't have any fear or hesitations by putting that out there because I was already exposed. The massive catalyst for me in my life was when my past had come back and bit me in the ass pretty hard. So, and I got a missed call from a friend of mine who I haven't spoken to in a couple of years. I missed the call. He left a, a voice message, said, Gavin, call me back as soon as you can. And I thought, fuck, did somebody die or what's going on here? This guy never rings me and he wants me to ring back immediately. So rang him back and he told me, Gavin, there's a, videos of you of you masturbating on a porn site it's circulating around the town someone told me about it people are seeing it and uh in that moment my whole world this is one of these moments where my whole world came crumbling down top of me you're listening to the building men podcast with dennis and anthony Moralda. Brothers on a mission to help you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Welcome to the Moralda Minute brought to you by Corona Premier. Today I'll be talking to you about starting your day without your phone. So we have this beautiful moment when we wake up where we get to tap into our subconscious mind. This allows us to visualize what we want and help our brain drive our actions forward towards achieving our vision. However, all of this is interrupted when we immediately dive into our phone and bombard ourselves with messages, emails, social media, the moment we open our eyes. So now our thoughts, ideas, and focus are immediately hijacked by the noise of the world. In other words, your mind will be occupied with other people's agenda, not your own. So unless you like starting your day with anxiety, stress, and depression, Put your damn phone down and start your mornings with intention. Pick three things you would like to accomplish before picking up the phone and stick to it. What is up, brother? What's up, my man? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We have a a cool guest on today. It's interesting. As I was researching our guest, I went back and I listened to some of the beginning podcast episodes. And as you know, if you've listened to the podcast, I cringe when I think about the beginning podcast that I did and then that we did together. And his sounded pretty polished. It goes all the way back to 2019 when he started the podcast. And there's so many like similarities between our journeys. One of the first podcasts that he did was about things that he's doing on a regular basis, daily routines, daily rituals. And as I'm listening to it, I'm checking off like, yep, I do. Yep, 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 yep. Especially when I was going through the transformation renaissance in my own life. Although it was pretty cool. I'm excited for the guest. His podcast is called The Modern Warrior. And so to bring him in, what I want to do is just have a quick conversation about the masculine archetypes. It was one of the podcasts that I did as a solo podcast. I think it was podcast, it was like episode 16 or something like that. It was in the fall of 2020. And believe it or not, that one got more traction than any others up to that point. And so it's the idea, it's the the Douglas Gillette and um, Robert Moore book, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. So that was, that's where I want to start off with just have a quick conversation with you about that, uh, what you like 
that idea, like how it shows up in your own life? Is there anything that you identify with in those four masculine archetypes? What, what's your thoughts about that? You're talking to me right now, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You, man. My <laughs> yeah. We didn't bring yeah. the guests on, but no one knows no. who he is just yet. He's a, he's a mystery man. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, all right. The lover and the magician were the one that resonated with me the most, honestly. But I found it amazing how I feel like everyone can kind of put themselves into one of those categories, and it's four categories, and it's it's very easy to kind of place yourself into specifically which one or sometimes you bleed over into the other but um yeah definitely that lover magician type that i noticed that that made sense in my life a lot but it's and then you start to dive into like the child archetypes as well which that's you know opens up a whole new whole new book when you do that you know yeah and what you need to do is do the work to look at yourself and then how you were raised we talk a lot about about generational trauma on this show and how or ancestral trauma and how the way that you were raised impacts the man that you are now. Mm-hmm. And the idea, so the, there's the idea of the king is more of the protector, uh, more of the leader, the person who wants to be out front that is like guiding the ship. There's the warrior that is, you know, very disciplined that will, uh, you know, basically it's, it's like the strength and the like assertiveness in a situation. Then there's the magician who's very curious. Uh, it's, it's about like teaching and mentoring wants to learn, wants to teach. And then there's a lover who's the empathic, who wants to experience, who wants to be involved in situations in their life. And the idea is like, if you can access all of these, it's a, it embodies like a really well-rounded man. And it embodies mm-hmm. like what we want to be able to want to understand all of them. And if we're lacking one of the areas, do a little, a little research into that area. So if you feel like you're very hard and, and grizzled and you don't really have that empathic side, like how were you raised? Is there something that you might have been lacking in your upbringing that perhaps you're not able to step into your emotional side? And if you're all in the feels, if you're all in that lover part of it, what about your upbringing? Were you raised? Were you coddled? Were you not able to take risks? Were you, uh, you know, were you raised in a way that you weren't able to fully step into your king masculine archetype? It's just fascinating to me. Yeah. And I wanted to use that idea to segue into our guest. His name is Gavin Meenan. Um, his idea is that he leads men towards a life of integrity, strength, and resilience. He, he's a former powerlifting champion, so I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk to him in that, in that realm. He's an author. The Act of Self-Acceptance, Stronger Mind, Stronger Body, Stronger Life. He's the host of the Modern Warrior Podcast. He's a good-looking dude. He's a guy that if you see him in the streets, you're like, that guy's famous. I don't know from why he's famous, but he's a famous dude. Gavin Meenan, what's up, my man? Welcome to the show. Really? Famous? Yeah, uh, you no, look no, like... No, like, no, no, yeah. no one's told me that before. Yeah, You have the look. <laughs> I've got the look, but I haven't got the fame. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I look famous. You do, famous. You, you, yeah. do, you do look famous. And yeah. um, so let's start there. Let's start with the, the modern warrior. So yeah. when you decided on the name of the podcast, what was it? What, like, what was it about the, that archetypical name, the warrior that you brought into the name of your podcast? I was on my own journey of trying to become a warrior in my life. And of course, there is a, a misconception in terms of what a warrior actually means. And for a 30-something-year-old man, when you use the term warrior, you know, it's fighter, it's aggression, it's taking on challenges, it's being bold, it's being resilient, it's being confident. But it's also about being compassionate, 
being compassionate, being loving and caring towards the people that are closest to in your life, being empathetic and sympathetic sometimes with others. So throughout my whole life, I've felt like I was a, a weak boy, weak man, soft, probably more feminine in nature. And as I, be, as I began to grow older, into my late teens, into my 20s, even into my 30s, I started to suppress a lot of that feminine energy. I started to suppress parts of myself that I didn't like. I started to hate those parts of myself, actually, because so many people had hated on me for being soft or being weak or being passive as I was bullied in school. And, you know, that continued for many years in my life. And I came from a, a small town where if you weren't good at playing football, then you weren't good at anything. So there was no, there was no option, option B. It was be good at football or boxing. And if you're not good at that, then you can't be, can't be one of us. So there's a lot of rejection there from the past uh, that I had to, of course, heal throughout my own personal journey. But when I started this modern warrior quest to help other men become warriors, that was also the misconception that I had within me. This is going back a few years ago, of course, that I had to become stronger, had to become more resilient and started taking on more challenges. But I went too far to one side with that and became quite cold, distant with uh, the people that I love the most in my life. You know, they were the, the victims of that and became a lot more aggressive and sort of closed myself off from everyone and anything. Became this sort of lone wolf. And I, I carried on that journey for quite some time until I realized that I was dying inside ultimately because I had no self-compassion no self-love, had a lot of self-hatred. And I felt like the way I was to conquer that was to become even stronger, even more resilient, whilst, as I said, neglecting all of these uh, very important characteristics and energies that were required to help me feel complete as a man. And I think that's that's the ultimate goal for the modern warriors to, is to feel this, this completeness that you can step into the compassionate side when there's certain times with your kids or with your wife or with women or even with men who are struggling, you can be compassionate. You can, you can be empathetic with others, but then there's times when you need to step into the realm, step into the lines, then you've got to be aggressive. You've got to fight. You've got to persevere. And it's knowing when to step into that right. and, and being okay to as well that you're yeah. not being empathetic and compassionate and then feeling like you're weak or soft, that, that understanding and accepting that that's part of being the complete man, the, the modern warrior. So that's the surface level answer. There's, there's, of course, a lot of depth to that journey. And as I mentioned, there was a lot of bullying. I had suppressed all of these characteristics that, other people didn't like about me. So I started to pretend I was somebody I wasn't. Started to pretend I was this hard man. Started to pretend that I was aggressive whilst being very afraid 
inside. Uh, had a lot of anxiety throughout my earlier years. And, you know, that was quite traumatic in itself. But the more I swung to that side, the more distant and more disconnected I came from myself. So when I was 30, 31 years of age, I never felt so alone because yeah. I had disconnected myself from everything that I, that I was at that point, trying to be somebody I wasn't so I could be accepted by other people. So uh, there, there's been a couple of catalyst moments there on that journey where I'd lost everything or the whole world came crumbling down on top of me and I had to make a change. So I was forced into asking a lot of difficult questions by myself so I could come up with the answers and awareness in terms of who I actually am and to bring yeah. some of those things back to life that I had suppressed over the years. And you, you go deep into it on the different episodes of your podcast where you're very uh, authentic, transparent. You expose right from the very beginning of the, your podcast, you start exposing yourself in a way that took me a long time to get to that point that I was comfortable in sharing the, the vulnerabilities that I had. And you did it right off the bat. I, I, I was on your podcast, The Modern Warrior. And after the episode was over, Gavin, I told you, I said, you did an unbelievable job with your interview style. It made me feel very comfortable. But also right off the bat, you came in hard. You came in hitting hard with a question that got me emotional. And for a long time, I was, I stuffed stuff down. You know, I pushed it down for a long time and it, it all came out in this, you know, mushy guy kind of thing to where now I'm okay with shedding tears if they come up and you got it right away out of me. And I'm like, this guy was really good. He got me, he got me crying for three minutes of the episode. So think about your, your journey as a podcast host. What are some of the, the episodes that you put out there? Or even if you could pick out one episode that you felt like, wow, this one, I really, I pushed my chips into the middle of the table and I said, I'm going to, I'm just going to put it out there on the table. It's really exposing for me to do that. What was one of those episodes that you remember? I'd, I'd had to be the porn crash edition yep. episode. I think, I think that was the, the answer you were expecting there as well. And that episode was probably the third or fourth one yep. that I ever made. And when I started my podcast back in, whenever you said there, was it 2019, 2018, yeah. 2019? I had a few solo podcasts first and I thought, yeah, I'll keep this going now for a while, but I sort of lost momentum after 10 episodes or so. And I've only really, I've only started back doing the podcast last year with guests this time. So, but at the beginning there, yeah, it was, uh, it was therapeutic for myself as well to get that stuff out there. And I spoke about my addiction to porn. I know that's something that gets thrown around an awful lot in terms of like, is that even a thing for me? I think it was definitely a thing because it had such a an influence on my life and my behaviors, and it was a it was a daily thing. And just to sort of go back to what I mentioned earlier about suppressing your your feminine energy, you know, I suppressed it, and it expressed itself through porn. You know, that's a porn to me is a very um, feminine behavior, and that's where it came up in a more destructive way. So. The the episode on on porn procrastination like that got like a massive reaction, and I think it's still one of the most listened to podcasts I have. But I didn't have any fear or hesitations by putting that out there because I was already exposed. The massive catalyst for me in my life was when 
my past had come back and bit me in the ass pretty hard. So to give a bit of context with that, there was one afternoon when I went to the gym and I was about to start my training session. And I got a missed call from a friend of mine who I haven't spoken to in a couple of years. I missed the call. He left a, a voice message, said, Gavin, call me back as soon as you can. And I thought, fuck, did somebody die? Or what's going on here? This guy never rings me. And he wants me to ring back immediately. So rang him back and he told me, Gavin, there's uh, videos of you circulating on a porn site of you masturbating on a porn site. It's circulating around the town. Someone told me about it. People are seeing it. And uh, in that moment, my whole world, this is one of these moments where my whole world came crumbling down on top of me. And that was the knocking effect of a lot of the suppression. Yes, suppression of my feminine energy, but suppression of a lot of pain and trauma from the past too, where I developed a very unhealthy very unhealthy relationship with porn, porn, porn addiction. And throughout that addiction, at its peak, I would go into these webcam chat rooms and expose it all. You talk about exposure in terms of me putting my story out there. Well, I was exposing myself for a very long time in a secretive way. And it all came out two years later. This was two years after I was starting to move away from the porn addiction had made some changes in my life. I got that call a couple of years later. Somehow the clips ended up on a porn site, was being circulated around my town. And I thought I was going to lose everything. I thought I was going to lose my relationship, business. I thought this was the end. And that took a couple of days to, to process, took a couple of days to get it off the internet. And then I was left with a decision to make in terms of, okay, what the fuck am I going to do with this now? You know, I've, I've uh, been completely exposed, humiliated, if, if I want to label that as a humiliation. Or can I use this experience for strength? Because I know full well that there are other, that there are other men out there who are going through similar struggles, maybe not a porn addiction, but they're suppressing some sort of pain or they're expressing that pain in alcohol or drugs or just feeling depressed or anxious in their life and porn is also a massive factor for many of these men so that's where that's where I made the change to go from just being a regular personal trainer or coach to going down the road of helping men improve their lives and become ultimately become the the stronger the stronger man with the stronger mind, the stronger body, and yeah. live, a, live a stronger life. That was the beginning of that journey. And that also inspired me to write my, my first book. So that, and also I had a lot of questions to answer in my own life in terms of how, how the fuck did I get to this point? I mean, yeah. I, uh, you know, all of the, suppression from the past it, it was completely out there for everyone to see and of course people will have their judgments and make up their minds about it and will begin to see me in a different light and I said that's okay that's 
that's their opinion. That's their thing. But I'm going to do all that I can right now to become a much more uh, stable, a much more compassionate, much more resilient and confident and stronger individual. So that forced that change and uh, through making that choice through that experience. And yes, how did I get to that point? I mean, there's there's been so many layers to that journey. The first layer was understanding that porn was my escapism for, for many years, escaping from myself, ultimately, escaping from my pain, my insecurities, escaping from people even, you know, not allowing people to come in because I feared the rejection or I was afraid of them hurting me. And porn was my very secret, private outlet where I could, where I could fully express myself and have a level of control over a life that I didn't feel in control of. And it also numbed a lot of pain for me. So there's been a couple of instances, one which, again, a world crumbling experience where when I was 18, I took my dad's car for a drive and it was after my first week in college and collected a, collected three of my friends, went for a drive around my neighborhood, around my town. And I was turning to go back home, picked up a bit of speed. Now, again, when we talk about suppressing parts of ourselves, you know, I would be in the car. I was showing off, of course, trying to be this hard man, cool guy, all these things that I felt like I, I wasn't and trying to force it upon myself so that others would perceive me in a different way, even my, even my closest friends. So the car offered me that opportunity to be someone else. So picked up a bit of speed and crashed into a, an oncoming car. This was a month before my 19th birthday at the time. And the lady in the opposite car, she she died immediately on the scene. So that was a, a pain that I had buried for well over a decade before I started to speak about it. And something that I used porn to escape from. Porn and, and drinking as well was a, was a massive factor as well in that in the first few years after the incident. And it wasn't until I was 31, yeah, 31, over 10 years before I reached out to a counselor and started to talk about that life-changing experience in my life. So all these things, as I said, led to the point of that exposure. And in a way, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because now I had nothing more to hide. I didn't have to be pursuing any secrets or any private matters in my own life. I could tell the truth because, hey, everyone everyone knows anyway. Everyone knows about this this addiction. Everyone knows. Everyone's Everyone has seen me fully exposed, so I've got nothing to lose now. So there was great liberation in that. As I reflect back on it, of course, at the time, it was... <sighs> soul destroying but as I reflect back and you're exposed to that point what else is there to lose so 
I had a great level of freedom from that experience that I could take, you know what? It's all out there anyway. So let's let's use this now as an opportunity. Wow, Gavin. I mean, I truly appreciate your willingness to to go down that journey with us, share, expose that those those skeletons that were in your closet that you have since exhumed. We had a podcast guest on his name was Nick Alfano, and he says the most powerful dude in the room is the one with nothing to hide. And once you're able to own everything that you've gone through and shine the light on it, basically you took your pain and made it into your purpose. So what I want to recognize the, the amount of courage and strength it takes to go back into that part in your life and share that with us and with our listeners as well. I'm sure I, as I was, I'm sure other people that are listening, you need to like put your jaw, push it back up onto your, the rest of your mouth right now, because like all of us listening, it was a, a really crazy story that you just shared with us right there. So as you were going to that point, so from 19 years old until you said you got help at 31, that whole time you were, you were using porn. I'm sure there were other vices or addictions that you had during that time. As you were going through it, was there that little, little devil on your shoulder that was telling you, you're a piece of shit. I can't believe you're doing this right now. Stop. You need to, or were you so numb to it? Were you, were you in like, so overwhelmed with like trying to buffer that emotion that you just didn't even hear that little devil on your shoulder. Building men of character, integrity, strength, compassion, and empathy through transformational mentoring, coaching, and motivational speaking is our mission here at building men. To work with me as a one-on-one life coach, you can find information in the show notes or you can visit our website at buildingmen.io where you can book a free 30-minute discovery call to help you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Now, back to the show. Yeah, didn't hear it, man. It was, yeah, it's strange because when I was in it, I wouldn't question it. Maybe I didn't want to question it because it felt so good whilst you're in that, whilst you're in that uh, spiral of porn and, and drinking. The, the, the approach to both of them was, was quite similar in terms of it was going all in on both. So alcohol was a huge factor for the first, I'd say, five years going through college. Now, what happened was that the accident happened on a Thursday and the advice that was given to me was to get back to living a normal life as soon as possible. That normal life, of course, didn't exist. So did you ever, life, did you have legal troubles from that? Was there any like legal ramifications that came from that? Yeah. The day after the accident, I was arrested and charged with dangerous driving, causing death. So that was another huge hammer blow where now I had something more to fear as well as trying to process the responsibility of being the responsibility for someone else's death. So incredibly overwhelming, which is probably why it took me so long to actually reach out for help because I I didn't know, wouldn't know where to start. It was too complex. And I'm a guy who likes structure, who likes plans, who likes to see the road ahead and to understand how every point leads to the next and that's just chaos ahead of me and I I didn't want to acknowledge it so there was 18 months there 
where I had this overhanging risk of, of going to jail. And luckily my parents were great during those 18 months. They hired a top solicitor, did everything they could possibly do to keep me out of jail. I was banned from driving for six years and I was sentenced to like two years in prison, but they were, um, yeah, it was a suspended sentence, which means keep your nose clean for two years and you'll be right. okay. So even after that, you know, you're sort of sometimes skating on thin ice uh, because if you step out of line, you know what the consequences are going to be. But there is, although I wasn't, although I wasn't sent to prison, physical prison, I was in my own mental prison and I was caught in that cell for a very long time in my own private life and didn't speak to anyone about it. The big, the big reason I didn't speak to anyone about it is because I felt no one's going to understand this. No right. one's going to get it. What's the point? And it wasn't for anyone else to understand, but it was for me to just share that story. And eventually I did with the, with the counselor. However, I let that linger for such a long period of time that it just accumulated over the years until one day it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was, it was the guilt that that was the tipping point for me and the guilt for what I'd done or what I'd caused and leaving a, a young boy without his mother behind. He was, he was also in the car with her on the day and thankfully he survived. He was only three years old at the time. And a few years later, you know, as I was 10 years later, I was thinking, okay, I wonder how he's doing. I wonder what he thinks of me. I wonder, does he hate me? Does he forgive me? And I started to feel very guilty for what I had taken from him in his life. And that was the, that was the, the ultimate tipping point for me. I said, no, I, I can't, I can't take this yeah. anymore. So so I was caught in that mental prison for many years and I, uh, I escaped from time to time through my alcohol use. My approach with alcohol was, was very, it was a very aggressive approach where I just didn't give a fuck. If there was drink to be drank, I would drink it without considering any consequences whatsoever. And I've had countless blackouts over those first five years. And again, you talk about a devil on your shoulder, never existed. I uh, never acknowledged it. And it was the same with the porn, a very aggressive approach. You know, it wouldn't be just 10 minutes, bing, bang, boom, get on with your life. It was sometimes six hours into the night getting lost in this thing so that I didn't have to sleep. So I didn't have to lie there in silence. And that's when the devil would appear. Would it be devil or would it be angel? Angel maybe giving me some sort of sign that there's something more there. But it was in those moments of silence and peace that things got very, very uncomfortable. And as I was not driving at the time and I was in college, which was over two hours away from my home place. So I traveled four hours every weekend back and forth to my home place, to college. And sometimes 
my iPod would die, I'd always have music on because, hey, I don't want to be in silence. Sometimes the iPod would die and I'd be on this bus and this wave of, I don't know what you call it, depression maybe, sadness would come over me and an extreme feeling of loneliness as well and guilt. So I would sit with that, but it's strange. I would never associate it with the car accident, although I could be thinking about it. I'd never sit there thinking, oh, you know what? I better go and talk to someone about this or I better do something about it. It's almost as if I accepted that this was that this was it. This is my life now, and I'm this is part of the process. I'm I'm to suffer the consequences of my actions here, and that's just the way it's gonna be. I don't deserve anything more. And that's probably why I allow myself to linger in that place because you know I, I hated myself for what I'd done. And that's an ongoing process today. I have to go through the process of forgiving myself on a regular basis for what I'd done. And I've got much better at that now as I got older, but, and as I've received help and talked about it, and I have got my strategies and tools to help me with that, but I absolutely hated myself. And I think that that's also part of the, of the drinking. I didn't give a shit. Yeah. Didn't wake, didn't wake up tomorrow morning. Who cares if I, if I, whatever, damage myself in some sort of way, who cares? I don't deserve anything better than this. And that showed its face more so whenever I would meet her, I'd sometimes meet her nephews on a night out. Now, her family were absolutely amazing uh, throughout that whole process. And that's something I'm forever grateful for. And her nephews, again, as I said, I come from a small town and my dad, my parents owned the pub. And her nephews would often frequent the pub and be out drinking and great guys, three brothers who became the, her son became their adoptive, adoptive brother. So I'd meet one of the brothers and I'd have a brief conversation with him and he'd tell me, Gavin, look, that could have been any of us, me or any of my brothers could have taken the car and crashed it and caused an accident. Like it was just an accident. He didn't mean to do it. Right. It's okay. And at the time, that just went over my head. I'd acknowledge it, of course, and I'd say, okay, yeah, yeah. But what I wanted to hear was, yeah, Gavin, we hate you for what you've done. You should suffer now. And, you know, I hope this is hanging over you for the rest of your life because that's what you deserve. And that was the sort of confirmation that I was after, that I deserved that for what I had done. So, that was something I carried with me for many, many years. And it's something that I still have to sometimes address right. and process. And I'm sure, Gavin, even just talking about it right now is partially a, a therapeutic session for you going through and re, retelling these events, but understanding when you wanted to hear that from her family, her relatives, it was really you needing to hear that from yourself. Like you needed to close that loop for yourself and then finally be able to forgive yourself. You mentioned that you felt that you were the only person in the world that's going through this. How can anyone understand what I'm going through? But with one thing that we've realized here is there's 8 billion people in this world, right? There are other people that are experiencing the same thing. It's, it takes that courage to be able to put it out there in the way that you're saying, like, this is all of me. This is everything that I've done. 
things that I'm proud of that I'm not proud of. That takes a ton of courage, a ton of balls. And it is that warrior mindset, like you talked about in the very beginning, Gavin. And porn is something that I talk about on the podcast. It's not something I didn't suffer in the same level. It uh, wasn't as significant in my life as it was for you. But I, you know, at the time I was married with three kids and that was my intimacy in my life. That was the only way that I was able to connect with intimacy was, was by using porn. But I always had that when I was, you know, in the moment, I would feel the rush. And then as soon as it was over, that little devil on my shoulder was basically calling me a piece of shit. Like, are you kidding me? Look at yourself right now. You're in your early 40s and this is what you're doing. You're trying to be a leader of young men and this is what you're doing right now. So for me, it was always this, it was this immediate, like it was a rush and then immediate shame immediate shame as soon as it was, you know, the act was completed, but being able to talk about it in that way, like other people are experiencing this right now. There are people that are listening at, that are either feeling so deeply what you're saying right now, or know someone that has felt very deeply what you're saying right now as well. So I really appreciate again, you going down that journey for us. You mentioned Gavin, it wasn't until you were 31 years old that you finally reached out to someone to, to a counselor, to a, a therapist for help. So what did that look like? What was the process that you went through to be able to finally like pull yourself out of those, the, the, the grasp of those skeletons that were trying to pull you down? Yeah, I remember giving her a call after I finished up training some clients in the gym, sitting, in, sitting there in the car. Now, this had been ongoing for a couple of weeks where the guilt was just tightening its grip on my soul, on my life. and. It was beginning to drag me under even more. I was already under, but began to drag me, drag me under even more. And I just hopped on to Google, Counselor, Sligo. Probably the first name that came up, I gave her a ring. I gave her a ring and I said, look, I, I, need to, I need to talk to somebody. I've just got a lot of things here that I just, I'm struggling with. So that was a process of 12 months and around 12 months. And I don't remember any of those sessions. I don't know what was said. I don't know what happened in any of them apart from one moment. I, again, that's something I'm confused about. I'm not too sure why I don't remember anything else, but the whole process throughout the the counseling sessions was to peel back the layers in terms of the car accident and my associations with porn and all these type of things. But it got to a point quite near to the end where she asked me, well, if if this deceased woman, who I actually knew quite well and had a good relationship with because I worked alongside her, in the local shop in town again small town everyone knows each other and i worked there for some summer jobs and part-time as a part-time job when i was in school so i got on really well with her and she asked me well if she was here today would she forgive you for what had happened on that day and that question floored me it took me some time to come up with an answer. I had to think about it, think, think about the type of person she was, her caring 
nature and uh, the love she shared with me and everyone she met. So I said, yeah, I, th I think after some time, I said, yeah, I think she would forgive me knowing the type of person I was and knowing that I didn't go out there to harm anybody or kill anyone and knowing that I had a good relationship with her. You know, she, she thought well of me and I thought well of her. So I said, yes, but, uh, I don't think I fully believed it. I think that was what I wanted to believe. So it's taken me, it took me more time to think about that answer and to really believe it. So th and that, that continues, as I said, to this day, sometimes I'm challenged by it. I'll take it with me and I'll, I'll, I'll try to reframe the situation or to revisit it or to change my perspective on some sort of way and understand that, you know, I didn't go out there to, to harm anybody in a day. It was an accident and there were unfortunate consequences to it. And yes, so that's the only moment I remember from the, those 12 months of, of counseling and every single session I was letting something go. It was the first time I had ever, ever talked so intimately with somebody about my struggles and problems. It was something I looked forward to every single week. It was the best time, best hour of my week, every single week for that, for those 12 months after shortly after the, the question of forgiveness, I said, you know what, I think, I think we're done here. And I think I've, I've got what I have had seeked out to, to find, you know, some level of forgiveness some level of forgiveness, not full, not full forgiveness. But I found myself back in the psychologist chair within another six months because the thing about it is once you go through a certain layer or you overcome a certain barrier, another barrier becomes visible to you. You say, oh, okay, there's something else here. So... I went to a psychologist after that because I felt that a psychologist may go a little bit deeper in terms of helping me understand why I still felt this level of emptiness or uh, why I didn't fully accept myself or love myself. So I think, you know, there's more here that I need to discover. I need to become aware of and try to try to change my story about it. And that was a process of two and a half years. I finished with him only maybe four months ago. And that was a whole other journey. That was going back to childhood and revisiting parts of my life that I'd never, I'd, I'd never visited before as, as an adult, understanding that the first three years of my life, I lived right next door to my grandparents' house where in that house lived my auntie, lived, actually lived several aunties, lived my grandparents' Right, we lived right outside their doorstep in a mobile home. Whilst my parents were building our our home house at the time, so the first three years of my life, those those formative years, I had I had a, a massive family there, a, a big family, loving family, loads of as I said, aunties. I had my uncle as well who lived in the house because they were quite young at the time and they were all still living at home. But after the after the third year, after the house was built, uh, we. We moved away and that was an incredibly traumatic experience for me that I never 
acknowledged only up until probably 18 months ago was talking to the psychologist. And I thought, yeah, okay, well, that's, that's bringing something up because I had a brilliant relationship with my auntie at the time. Probably had a stronger bond with my auntie than I did with my mother at the time. It was, it was that it was that strong. It was that she would have this completely different personality from all her other sisters, all my other aunties. She had this carefree nature about her. And if my mom was giving out to me about something I did, my auntie would step in and bring some humor to the situation and say, Hey Gavin, look, it's not that big a deal. So she was a soother, she was a comforter. And probably over the, those three years, she served as a soother, as a comforter. So being disconnected from her at three years of age, I think set me up for a longing for that connection for the rest of my life, where I feel that's where porn substituted that, substituted her comfort, her soothing, her love. And I think that's the connection I've been longing for since the age of three. Wow. So then, that's, that's the level of depth. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, well, here's the thing on, on this podcast, we try to, we try to incorporate the, the life lessons around perseverance. We try to, how do we take someone's story and help young men or parents of young men that are going through something challenging? And we also try to incorporate humor in it. So I want to give a shout out to your auntie um, in that capacity. Anthony, we haven't heard from you in a while. And here's, here's one thing about this podcast. My brother is really good at voices. He's good at impersonation. So I'm, I'm wondering, just to bring some levity, some humor into this, because this has been a deeply emotional episode. Can you, can you talk to Gavin like you, you might meet him down at the pub? Like say you're, you're, you're out somewhere in Ireland, Anthony, and you meet, you meet Gavin. Can you, can you talk to him about asking a question like you would meet him at the pub? How you doing, Gavin? Nice to meet you. It's it's nice to be here at the pub. You know, throughout my whole life, it's uh, it's I always notice I have a better connection with people when we're at the pub because we get a couple drinks in us, and I find that uh, you know the guard gets gets brought down a little bit, and we could kind of peel back the liars. Um, so you know, my one question is, what what's your drink of choice? Where did you, if if you had to have one, what, what would it what would it be, my brother? <laughs> That's uh, yeah, Anthony. Nice, nice to meet you, man. And uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm quite confused. Where, where's that? Where's that accent from? Is that uh, South Africa or is that Australia? Or is that, uh, it's got, somewhere, it's somewhere in Ireland. Yeah. It's called, it's called the Jersey boy trying to be an Irishman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're almost there, man. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm working on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Drink, drink, drink of, uh, drink a drink, drink a choice. The moment is uh, water or a protein shake. So there you go. Um, yeah. I've, uh, yeah, before that, it would have been anything and everything. So, although I do miss, uh, do sometimes miss a, a nice pint of Guinness. Don't know if you've, if, if, have you experienced or do you, do you have a few drinks over well, there? It, we've heard that Guinness is way different in Ireland than it is yeah. in the States here. Like, it's completely different. Yeah. We, they don't ever, like, we get them in cans and that's like unheard of, uh, yeah. in ireland right so no, that's that's not good yeah 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 you, you no. have to you have to take a trip over here someday and experience some real genuine irish guinness yeah that's yeah it's good stuff yeah I, i've i've given up i've only recently given up the drink since last i think last november was the last drink i had and just decided that it wasn't 
serving me anymore and wasn't it was not adding value to my life anymore so uh, but before that yeah um as the years have progressed i've been drinking less and less and less and i thought you know what uh, i don't even need this anymore but right. uh, a good pint of guinness is definitely something that i would reminisce over sometimes <laughs> if anything if i miss anything from having a few drinks it would be a really good pint of guinness yeah and anthony bringing out the what did we call him anthony was like seamus I don't. I don't a name for your, for your for your Irishman uh, accent. So, um, two, Sweeney. <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, when you, when you talked about, you know, the go, having to go back and and relive those memories and and really figure out where the root of everything was, it's something that we we really believe in here is mm-hmm. when you're trying to overcome something, some vice, some addiction in your life. There's a root for it. You weren't born most people were not born in that capacity, especially addicted to porn, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. something that people were born with. There's some event that happened. So to be able to go back and look, do the hard work to look at it, it's not easy to go through that situation. It's really easy just to keep covering it up with other vices, with other addictions and things like that. But what you did was did that hard work. So if I'm listening to this, so I'm either a young man in his teenage years who thinks there might be some struggle with porn right now, where I'm in the bathroom on my phone, on a regular basis, looking at, you know, red tube or Pornhub or whatever it is, or if I'm the parent of a kid who thinks that this might be something that they have the propensity for, what's the first step that I would take to help myself if, if I'm looking to get past this addiction that I have right now? No judgment anyway, that's for sure. No judgment. I think the reason I didn't speak about it is because I fear the judgment from my parents, from society, from people, because there was such a stigma about porn it was something dirty seedy of course if you have that perception about it you're going to do it in secret you're going to do it in private and you're going to probably do even more of it because it's almost as if you're watching porn because you feel a level of shame and then the more you watch porn the more you feel this level of shame so you're caught in this vicious loop so to have an open honest conversation about it and i would encourage any parent probably a father to a son is most likely going to be the scenario to have an open conversation with his son about pornography and just to help him understand what's out there and that it's not, it's not a means to, it's not a healthy means to establish a level of intimacy in your life. I think that's, as you've touched on as well, Dennis, that you, you didn't have a lot of intimacy or any intimacy in your life. And instead of perhaps having that conversation with your wife or even for myself, having that conversation with, with my girlfriend or my wife in terms of, look, I really struggle to go all in here when it comes to sex. I have this sort of unhealthy perception about it just based on my upbringing, based on the Catholic religion and the stigma attached to that in terms of sex and relationships. So I struggle to go all in. And so if you have that open conversation, you can then begin to work through it. And that's something that I still would feel resistance towards in terms of going all in on something. And I think to be intimate with somebody like fully intimate, you've got to have that level of self-compassion for yourself to know that, you know what, I, I deserve love and I deserve intimacy and I deserve happiness and I deserve success in my life, but I'm not allowing myself the permission. I'm not giving myself permission to go in because I see going all in as a, as a huge risk, a risk of being hurt, 
through a rejection or through feeling the sense of shame that I maybe would have experienced in the past when I expressed myself in some sort of way in front of my mother. But your wife or your girlfriend's not your mother. And you have this unhealthy assumption in your mind as to how this experience or this conversation or this expression is going to play itself out with the woman in your life today. So no judgment. I mean, Jesus, like if, if we could just park the judgment, boys especially would yeah. be more open and more honest and more truthful about the struggles that are going on, going on in their lives because if they're not going to open up or be honest about it in their teens, it's going to follow them through into their 20s, 30s, into relationships, marriages, breakups from those yeah. marriages because of this underlying struggle. They've never, they've never felt safe to express in their life because of the fear of judgment or rejection or hurt from other people. So I think it's for the parent to step in at an earlier age 12, 13, whenever those hormones start to kick in and having that discussion with what their what their child about the the risks out there and also that it is out there and that sex is okay. It's a healthy thing. And if they're having struggles with it, that they're that you're there for them to have that conversation with, but no judgment, you're there to help. So I think that's something as well for. We we talk more with the parents and, and that topic, but for the for the boy who's maybe struggling or, or the young man who's struggling with porn, well, hey, we're having an open discussion about it. Now. Yeah, absolutely. no judgment. And if you if you don't feel safe enough to open up to your mum or dad or your girlfriend about it, then find a man out there who's openly speaking about it, his own struggles, and that's a a big that's been a big catalyst for. What I do is that because I speak about my own struggles, it's removed that barrier for men to open up to me about their struggles because yep. they know I'm not going to judge them because I've been through it myself. So find that man in your life and speak the truth. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. It's interesting because having we had a guy on the podcast, his name was Carl Thomas. This is going back to February timeframe. It was episode 117. And the name of the episode was When Shame Gets Real. And he talks very openly about his own addiction to pornography and normalizing the conversation with his kids. So to say, like, listen, like if I'm going to make a conversation with my son, I get it. Like if you see a pair of boobs, you have a reaction to it. It's, it's human nature. It's when you're, it's the constant dopamine hit of scrolling through to the next, to the next, to the next. And then it you need to change the level of intensity of it. And it becomes that there's, it's a constant, as you're watching porn, you're basically like digging a hole for yourself and, and it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until you, you look out from the hole and you can't even see the surface anymore. That's pretty much what's going on. And then you mentioned Gavin, the idea of, of self-compassion in a relationship. I'm going to tie in Jerry Maguire really quickly. I love the movie. I love that Jerry Maguire has Tom Cruise has the balls to get outside of, of Bob Sugar and the, the way that sports agencies are going, and he does his own thing. But the thing that I disagree with is when he's telling Renee Zellweger that you complete me. And here's the thing, the reason why. To be in a relationship, like you need to, you, you mentioned self-compassion, you need to complete yourself first. 
If you're going to be in a healthy relationship with another human being, you can't look for that other person to complete you because if they start to change and, and struggle with something, now you're left with this void and that void can be taken up by a vice and addiction. So go into relationship, being able to complete yourself, have that self-compassion, and then together you can make each other stronger, but you can still be that complete person. It's just, I just needed to throw out that reference to Jerry Maguire there. Um, so before Gavin, I, this has been already an hour and it has been one of my favorite hours on this podcast because of your level of, of transparency, authenticity. And we didn't even, there were like 33 things that I wanted to talk to you about. We got to one of them <laughs> during this time. So I want to say one, I want to have you back on the podcast without a doubt, just to get into some of the powerlifting things and what you're doing with the podcast. But before um, we close the loop and give you an opportunity to, to share where we can find you. Um, Anthony, you want to uh, follow up with the, the, the last question? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, again, just like Dennis said, thank you for being so vulnerable and open because like you talked about, it's providing kids out there and other people with space and the safety and the comfort. So whenever you talk about these things, it opens up to be like, hey, I got you. I've been there. And it allows them to feel like, all right, I'm not alone. And the more people that speak out about this, the more people we can come together and help. And like, who knows how many people you've helped who were on the brink of suicide or felt like they were alone in all this, because until you open up and have that conversation, you feel like you're alone. You feel like it's just you going and suffering every single day. So again, I appreciate everything that you're saying. And it's, it's always nice to hear someone talking um, about this stuff. And so my last question is, if there's one thing that you could tell our building men audience that they can do starting once they shut off this podcast to kind of kickstart their life, get going in the right direction, what would that one thing be for you? I think it's important to acknowledge the things that are no longer serving you in your life right now. And of course, we're all guilty of hearing the information and saying, oh yeah, you know what? Uh, that sounds a lot like me. I should do something about that. You switch it off and you get on with your life and it's never done. So grab a notebook, a pen, and maybe even write down some of the things that this podcast has brought brought to mind, brought to the surface for you in your life, because there's there's something there for you to work on. There's always something to work on. Like we're, we're, a, we're a work in progress our whole entire lives. So to acknowledge what that is and then to set up the roadmap to take you from where you are to where you would preferably like to be in your life. But I think ultimately there's, there's a lot of things in our lives that do not serve us anymore and service in a way that benefits us there are things like I could, I could reflect back on my porn addiction and say that that's, that served me for a period of time because that became a huge comforter escapism from the pain I was experiencing. So I could justify that, that addiction as a, as a means to soothe the pain. But ultimately that was a misconception that I created in my own mind to, to, to justify the use of it where I was only ignoring the pain. And that pain became stronger and stronger and stronger the more I ignored it. Every 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 hour in porn was another piece of or another addition of fuel to the already already burning fire within me. So right now there's right now there's fire alarms going off in, in your life potentially. You've got to acknowledge what those are and ask yourself why are you standing there ignoring those alarms whilst 
your whole world or your life is potentially beginning to burn down all around you. You know, get out of the fucking building. Right. I, that's, a, I, that's the mic drop moment right there. Gavin, where can we find you? How do we get in touch with you? Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, whatever. Uh, I'm Gavin Meenan on everything. I must be the only Gavin Meenan in the world or else there's another really pissed off Gavin Meenan in the world and I've, I've, <laughs> I've used his name on every platform possible. So GavinMeenan.com, Gavin Meenan on Instagram, Twitter, I use a bit, TikTok, Facebook, every platform out there. And my book's also available on, on Amazon, but there is a link on my Instagram for all my offers. So you can check that out and grab something that you would feel may benefit you at this point. So get after it. Awesome. This has been a blast. This hour has been really beneficial to me. I found it very therapeutic. I want to meet you in person and give you a hug. I definitely, I just, absolutely. We will, we will have you back on. We will continue this conversation without a doubt. This is going to be a, a a lifelong friendship between what you're doing with modern warrior and building men. I believe there's a lot of synergistic opportunities for us in the future. So thank you so much, Gavin, for being on the podcast. An honor. Brother, it was good to see you again this morning, Anthony. Um, yeah, buddy. Well done with uh, with Seamus uh, O'Shaughnessy. Uh, <laughs> we will uh, believe that audience go one step further than you thought you could go. We'll see you next time on Building Men. <laughs>